And the word of the Lord says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be here with y'all this morning. Just a few announcements, then we'll get started with God's holy word this morning. Um, save the date for VBS. That's June the 20th, 20th through the 24th uh, from 6 to 8.15. Uh, June the 20th through the 24th, 6 o'clock to 8.15 in the evening. Uh, join us this Wednesday for our business meeting at 6.30. Uh, come beforehand for a dinner, though. Uh, again, Wednesday night is our business meeting at 6.30. And last but not least, this afternoon at 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock, we'll have a, uh, a game of kickball. Um, and we will provide, the church will provide snow cones and you will provide the ice cream. Um, just a hint, if you want to know, my favorite ice cream is uh, Tonight Dough um, by Ben and Jerry. So hint, hint. Um, if you don't bring it, I'm going to bring some of my own. So I'll have enough anyway, but I'd like to take some home. Uh, so... <laughs> Did I say that out loud? My bad. Uh, that's Tonight Dough uh, by Ben and Jerry's. Uh, and a side of Miss Donna's uh, peach ice cream. That's the beauty of being the pastor. You can make announcements and no one can stop you. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, before I do uh, pray for us this morning, I do want to offer uh, on behalf of the church to Rob and Rhea our condolences as you lost Miss Twyla. Um, there's so many things about Miss Twyla. Uh, she would not have let me come up here this morning without checking uh, my, my back to make sure I did not have a cord dangling. She would not let me come up here without a hug. She will be sorely missed, and we want you to know, Rob and uh, Miss Rita, we continue to pray for you, and we'll uh, support you in any way that we can. She um, is a treasured lady in my house. I told Rob this yesterday when I went to visit them. I was on the phone with Tennyson, who's in South Carolina, and I was telling her I was going over to Rob and Rita's, and she said, what for? And I said, because Miss um, Twyla went to be with the Lord, and she began to cry, and she said, I will miss her, I will miss her. And so she will be missed um, uh, deeply here at this church. And so we want to offer our condolences to you. So uh, if you need anything, let us know. We'll be here to support you uh, through this hard time. Let Roger know the same. Um, Roger is a dear, dear man. Anytime an older, godlier pastor says to a younger pastor that um, he said to me yesterday, uh, you are my pastor. You, you'll never know what that means as a young pastor for an older pastor to say that uh, to, to me. And so I, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your family. Uh, and we, the church, are grateful. So if you need anything, please let us know. 
Let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, this morning. God, I again am reminded as I often come to this pulpit to preach your word. What your servant said in the Psalms. Let us be still and know that you are God. So I pray in this moment we would be able to still our hearts. We ask that the Holy Spirit would do that for us. And still in our hearts, God, I pray that you would minister to each of us wherever we're at in this moment. If it's through grief, I pray the Spirit would minister to us in our grief. If it's through joy, He'd minister to us in our joy. And whatever it is, Holy Spirit, minister to us this morning. And now, God, we come again to you and we ask that you would continue to pour out your kindness and your goodness wisdom upon this church as we have been searching diligently for a youth pastor. You tell us in your word that your timing is not our timing and our thoughts are not your thoughts. And God, we continue to just ask and plead on behalf of this church and for our youth that you would send us the right person at the right time. And that God, in that waiting, that you would Give us both wisdom, perseverance, and patience. We said Wednesday night, your word says that you are doing something in our midst. Pray that we would have eyes to perceive what you're doing and hearts to receive it. God, continue to bless this church. Let this church be a beacon and a light into this dark community. God, for unknown reasons, you have allowed this church to remain in this place. The one thing that we can be assured it is for your glory and for the good of this city. So I pray that would continue to happen here at this church, that you would use us to bring light into darkness. And now, God, as we come to your holy word, that it's been inspired by you, it's been written by you, therefore it's in fallible. We pray that you would let the word do what only the word can do, and that is to bring salvation, whether that's justification or sanctification. um, God, only you know, but we submit ourselves under your mighty word. So lead us, guide us. And again, as Paul says, we offer ourselves to you as a living and holy sacrifice to know your good and pleasing will. Be with us this morning. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. Again, we're here in the letter of James. James is writing this letter to the Jews who have been dispersed all over the known world. And he's writing them to encourage them. And he's encouraging them to learn how to live out their faith. Learn learn to live out the Christian faith. We've said throughout, we'll see again this morning that James is really writing a commentary of what his brother Jesus had said and done on the the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 
and 7. Uh, last week we looked at, in that one verse at the end, what does it look like when we receive the Word of God? That's what he's been walking us through. And now he says, you've received this gift from God, the Word of God that's brought salvation into your heart. God has implanted, is his exact words, he's implanted the Word into you so that you would be saved. And now he's going to tell us what we are to do with the implanted Word in our hearts. He makes it so clear. There's two things that James is going to say to us. Those two things are this. How we are to live without being deceived because of the Word of God. Let us live out the Word of God, not to be deceived by that. And then he's going to say, and this is what you are to do once you're not deceived because of the Word. We're going to put into action the Word of God that's in you. Those are the two things that James is going to to tell us. He says this in James chapter 2, and this is the premise of this morning. You must have faith, but you must have works, and those two things must go together. He says this in James chapter 2, verse 8. We'll get there in a few weeks. He says, but someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith By my works. And so what James is saying to us, it's not our works that saves us. But it's our works that show that we are saved. Let me say that again. You're not going to work your way into salvation. Salvation is apart from you. It's a free gift from God that James had just said has been implanted in you. But now you are going to know if you have that faith by what you do. So James is giving us a test. Do you have true salvation? Do you have the gift of faith, of salvation that God has implanted? Because you're going to know that by how you live out your life. He's going to borrow what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus had come and he begins his whole earthly ministry by having these things to say. He says this over and over through the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said this, but I tell you this. This is what the old law says, but I'm coming to establish a new law. And over and over through the Sermon on the Mount is him showing his disciples how they are to live out their faith. And he's going to say over and over, it's not just your actions, but it's within the heart where your actions come from. So that's the Sermon on the Mount. But this is how he ends the Sermon on the Mount. And this is where James is going to pick up as he moves into living out our faith. He says, this is what Jesus says. He says this. Anyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat at the house. But it did not fall. Why? Because it was founded on the rock or it was founded on the word. Because everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against the house and it fell and and a great fall happened to us. So this morning, my, my question is this. How are we 
living out the faith that God has implanted in us. How are we, how are you, how am I, how are we, this church, living out the implanted word in us? Let me start with, let us not be deceived. He says this in James chapter 1, verse 22. But, so circle that word in your Bible because the but is bringing connection to the passage he just said. So he just said, hey, you've heard and you received the word. But there's more to it. So what's the more to it than just receiving the implanted word? He says this, but be what? Doers of the word. Not hearers only deceiving yourselves. I wonder for us, how many of us has heard the word, but we don't do the word, and therefore we deceive ourselves? I just had an interview with a young man in my office about his salvation and about him wanting to be baptized. And my prayer as I was sitting there talking to this young man was this, God may make he not just hear the word of God. But will he live a life doing the word of God? My prayer is this, that we don't just simply pray a prayer to pray our way out of hell, but we are praying our way into heaven. And we pray our way into heaven by the way we live out our Christian life. Let us not just simply be hearers of the word. My great fear is this, that we are professional hearers. That's what... James is saying in this passage, when he says those words, let us not be hearers only, he's talking about professional hearers. What does that mean? That there were people back in the day, all they did were were paid to go listen to somebody. Now, I don't know if that meant they they were paid to fill pews or paid to fill an, an, an auditorium, but they would simply get paid to go listen to someone. But in listening to what they were hearing, they didn't have to go do anything that the lecturer had to say. And my great fear is this. We have churches and pews full of professional hearers. Why would I say that? If you just go and look up George Barna and look at his research, his research, what he did was he took what we would say was a committed follower of Christ, one that would profess salvation to the Lord and the Lord alone. And you look at his research and he asked a series of questions to these committed believers. And what he found out was this, and we'll see this at the end of the passage here in James, that believers and unbelievers in their belief system were no different. That ought to be striking to us. Like a Christian would say in his research, they hold the same value of the word of God as an unbeliever. Like he did research that that I can't remember all the stats, but even Christians would say it's okay for abortion. Now that's a committed follower of Christ. That ought to be staggering to us. Why? Because we have professional hearers but we do not have those that will go do what they're hearing. 
if your hearing doesn't lead to doing, I'd ask the question, and I'd ask you to ask yourself the question, has God truly implanted the Word of God in me? Because God's Word ought to produce what? Fruit. Good fruit. That comes through our doing. And he says this. So he says, I don't want you to just be professional hearers and deceiving yourselves. Hearing the Word of God is not what brings change. He says, he goes on to say this. He gives this illustration of what it looks like to be a professional hearer. If anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, what is he like? He's like a man who intently looks at his natural face in the mirror. So here's this man that hears the word of God. This is the example. He's like a person that goes to a mirror. How many of us went to the mirror this morning? All of us, I hope. Blake, you give me a little iffy? Okay. Here's what it looked like for me this morning. I came out, I was having jokes with Jenny in the morning, but I had gone, I would brushed my teeth, I began to, to do my hair, and I thought my hair looked good. I mean, I did. So I come out for breakfast, and Jenny looks at me. You know that look from your spouse? You're like, hmm, you see something I don't see. And she said, what are you doing with your hair this morning? I was like, it looks good. Now, I had intently looked into the mirror. But I had simply, I must have forgotten what I seen or did not see what I saw or did not have glasses to see what she saw. She's like, you might want to go back and look at the mirror. And I went back and looked in the mirror. I'm like, man, thank God she said that. And I said, well, I'm using this as an illustration this morning. That's how I got away with it. And she just rolled her eyes. You know, she just rolled her eyes. And I was like, okay, I'll go fix it. But I wonder how many of us do that with God's word. And that's what he's saying to us. He says, you, you are like a man that intently looks into your natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away at once, and what? He forgets what he is like. How many of us do that with God's word? That's what he's saying. He's saying to us, God's word is our mirror. What does he mean by God's word is our mirror? When I read and I engage God's word, there ought to be things in God's word that reflect back to me either how I am becoming more like Christ or how I'm not. And when I read God's word, if you read God's word, that's going to happen to every one of you in the room. And what James is saying is, how often do you come to God's word, you let God's word be a mirror to you, but as soon as you close the Bible, close your quiet time, you walk away and forget what conviction that the Holy Spirit has just brought to you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God's word will always bring conviction. But it's not the conviction that matters, it's what we do with the conviction that matters. Because without that conviction and doing something about the conviction, we're only hearers, not doers. James goes on to say this, please, he's pleading with the reader, don't just be hearers. He says this, for he goes away and forgets what he was like. But 
thank God for the butts of the Bible. But the one who looks at what? The perfect law, the law of liberty. And he perseveres or he does something about it. He is no, he's not being a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts and he will be blessed. The next thing that James says is this. He's going to give us three things. He says, let us be those who come to God's word. Here's the first thing I have to ask all of us this morning. Do we see God's word as these three things? Because if we don't see God's word as these three things that James lists out, no wonder we'll just simply be hearers of the word. The first thing is this. Look what he says. He says this, but the one who looks, that word look means to stoop down. It's the same word that is used about Peter and Mary at the tomb, stooping in, pondering, like observing, investigating, examining, making sure, intently looking at the word of God. He says, this is what the word of God is. When you examine it, the first is this. Do you and do I, when we look at the word of God, do we believe that it's what? It's the first word it says. Perfect. Is God's word to you perfect? The word perfect means there, without any flaw. See, because if you don't believe God's word is perfect, then you're going to be like Thomas Jefferson. You know what Thomas Jefferson did? One of our forefathers. What Thomas Jefferson did, he said this, I'm going to go through all of God's word, and I'm going to pick out what I want to be true about God's word. That's terrifying. Mark Twain said it this way. I love the way Mark Twain said it. He said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand, I don't like. It's the parts of the Bible I do understand that I don't like. And so my first question to you and to me this morning is this. Is God's law perfect? Is there anything about God's law that you don't believe to be perfect? Because it's those places that you will not become a doer of God's law. That's the first. The second one is this. What's, it's the perfect what? Law. Do you believe that God's law is God's law? Not only is it perfect, but it's the law. How many of us don't like the law? Okay, like we're rebellious. But that's what James is saying. It's perfect, but it's also the law, which means it has consequences. And so many of us, we don't see that it's perfect and we don't believe it's the law because we don't really believe it's going to have consequences. So we're just going to live our life the way we want to live our lives. So first, is it perfect? Then do we believe it's the law? But here's the last piece, which is the sweetest piece of the passage. It says this, it is the law of what? This is group interaction. Look at our Bibles. It's the law of liberty. What does the word liberty mean? Freedom. 
let's go through that one more time. God's law is perfect. God's law is God's law. And what does the perfect law do? It leads us to what? Freedom. So all the places in God's word that we don't like, if we really do them, will lead to freedom. So if God's law says not to get drunk and we don't get drunk, it's going to lead to what? Freedom. But when we here don't get drunk, we think God is doing that to bring us what? Bondage. Ah, God's just a killjoy. God just has all these laws because he's a killjoy. No, God has all these perfect laws for our freedom. And we live in the confines of God's law. We will be what? Free. Here's another way to explain this. I'm not a pyromaniac. Maybe you are. Fires kind of scare me. But if I came out here and I began to build a fire in the middle of this church, what would y'all do? I hope run. Because if I built a fire in the middle of this church, there's nothing that can contain the fire. Right? But is fire not a great thing? But where? In a fireplace. The fire must be in containment. That is what James is saying here. God's law is to us that way. He wants us to live like a fire that is ablaze doing things, but we have to have confinements of those things. Because when we are, have those confinements of God's perfect law, we will be free. So my question to you, before we move on to the rest, because you're going to move on and say, if you believe this to be true about the perfect law of freedom, then you're going to do these three things. So the first is this. Do you, do I believe it's perfect? Do I believe it's the law? And do I believe it will bring me freedom? Now James says this, because when you do this and you believe this, you will be what? The end of the passage, you will be blessed. See, if I believe God's perfect law of freedom and do them, I will be blessed. Do I, do we live a blessed life based on the perfect law of freedom? And now James moves in to, okay, you've received it. You're not just going to be hearers. You're going to be doers. And now he gives this short list, not exhaustive, but a short list of what we are to do with the perfect law of freedom if anything if anyone thinks this is verse 26 if anyone thinks he is what religious and does not bridle his tongue but but deceives his heart this person's religion is worthless religion is pure and undefiled before God the father is this to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself abstained from the world. Three things he says for us to do. The first is we are to what? We are to live out the word of God through our mouths. 
through our tongues. James will say more about the tongue in chapter 3. I'll read just a little bit about that passage here in this moment, and I will not teach on it. He says this in James chapter 3, verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and of reptile of the sea creatures can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. This is what he says. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce fruits? Neither can salt, a salt pond, yield fresh water. What James is saying to us, and we'll get there in a few weeks, we must tame the tongue, but the only way to tame the tongue is through submission to the word. So I'd say this to you, and I don't just simply mean the words that you speak out loud. All of us had that internal tongue. Am I the only one? Like I'm driving on the road tongue, that one? Okay. I'm just being honest. Like, like it never comes out, but it comes out. That's what James is talking about. Let us do an inventory of what's being said from us that claim to be believers. It's the first thing he says. The second thing he says is this. We must show our living of the word by our deeds. The two places. This is not, again, exhausted list. There's so many more. But James says this. We will know how we live out the word when we what? When we visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Why would James say those two places? Because those in that day were the most neediest of people on the planet. They were in great need. And so what James is saying to us in the passage is if you live out God's word, you will live with sacrifice to other people. So I'd say this to you and I'd say this to me. Who are the widows and the orphans that are among us that it's going to take us a great sacrifice The word visit there does not simply mean I'm going to go sit and sip on coffee. The word visit there means this, that I'm going to go and I'm going to interject my life into their life. And I'm going to care for them. Caring for people costs us something. Do you know that? And so James is saying, you live out your Christian faith through the word, it will cost you something. And I would ask us, myself, you, the church, 
What is our faith costing us to look after other people? So the, the tongue, our deeds, and then lastly, your lifestyle. This might be the hardest one of all. He says, and equal to the others, to keep oneself abstain from the world. As I said in the first part of this message, research shows us that Christians and unbelievers live the same way. That, that ought to do something in all of us. What James is asking us is can we live out our faith in such a way that marks us as different? Remember how Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. 5, 13 through 16, he says, let us what? Be the salt and light of the world. See, we can only be salt and light of the world by the way we live out our And by the way that we interact with the world and behave in the world. What James is not saying to us is to get out of the world. That's the other thing. We can become Amish. And we can become so isolated from the world that even if we're salty and have light, we're of no value because God didn't say to be out of this world. He says to be in it, but not what? Of it. Here's what Jesus prays in one of the greatest prayers in the Bible, John 17. One day I'll preach that entire passage. It will take me a long time to teach John 17. But here's Jesus right before he goes to the cross, right before he's about to leave this planet, and he's pleading with his Father for us. I mean, he's pleading. He's begging God on the behalf of us, the followers. And he says this. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 15. He says, I do not ask that you take them, what, out of the world. on Jesus like get me out of here am I the only one no Jesus says I'm not asking you to take them out of this world he says but that you would keep them from the evil one that's in this world I'm not asking you to take them out of this world because I need them in this world but I need protection from them as they're in this world because they're not of the world just as I am not of the world sanctify them in the truth of your word. He goes on to say, we need them in this world to bring salvation to the world. And how is that done? It's through the way that we live. And that's what James is saying here in this passage. He's saying, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word, but in your doing, You must set yourself apart from the world. Well, how do we set ourselves apart from the world? We do this. I promise this. We begin to live this out in all the places that God says to live us out. We will be what Paul says. We will be aliens of this place. We will be way different. And when we begin to be different in this world, the world's going to begin to ask questions. 
Now, it's not up to us to make sure they get saved. That's God's work. But it is up to us to live so differently that they begin to ask questions and we have answers to why and how we live different and we can point them back to the Word of God. So in closing, I want us to turn to to Psalm 19. I want you to ask this question to yourself. Do we believe that this is true about us and God's word? Because if we do, we will be doers of the word. Psalm 19, verse 7 and 8 and 9. 7 says this. The law of God is perfect, reviving the soul. Does your soul need reviving today? Because your soul can only be revived by the law of God, which is perfect. Do we believe the testimonies of the Lord is sure or true, making wise the simple? The precepts of the law, the word of God, the, the, the word of the Lord is right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. And here is what I would ask. Is this true? For you. The law of God. Are the testimonies of the Lord. Are the precepts of the Lord. Are the commands of God. Are the rules of the Lord. These for you. They are more to be desired. Than they are gold. Even much finer gold. And is the word of God sweeter. Also than Honey dripping from the honeycomb. So that's true for you and me this morning. Now let's turn back to James. Because if that would be true for you and for me, then we'll do exactly what James says in James chapter twenty, chapter chapter one, verse twenty-two. But be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. For anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but doers who acts will be blessed. If anyone thinks that he is righteous and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless, religion that is pure. And in the file before God, the Father is this. Visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself abstained from the world. Do you and do I believe that God's word is perfect? It's the law and it leads us to freedom. Let me pray for us this morning.